Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. So today, this Bible reading will be taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, from verse 12, all the way to chapter 4, and, in, and 12. So at the end of this reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say thanks be to God. Although it is true that I am a garden redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked her, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gates and sat there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the garden redeemer, Naomi who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of this seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other, this was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, 
Today, you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite's Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar brought to Judah. This is the word of the Lord. There are three categories of people here this morning. There are those who feel like that prayer is for them. Like that prayer is for me. Um, those that feel like they should. Those that feel like they need to do more for the poor. That's the first category of people. Um, second category of people. Those who feel like God must answer this prayer. Ah, God must answer it. That this prayer is about them. Those who feel like they are the ones the people in the first category should care for. They are the ones the people in the first category need to care for. And then there's the third category of people. Those who feel like category one and category two, you people better say amen. Because nothing really consigned me like that. I know if you talk, say I poor. But I know if you talk, say I don't gather enough to the distribute. You see, this is a big issue. So I want us to try it another way. Let's try it another way. If you know that you are poor, can you please raise up your hand? If you know that you are poor in the house. Can I have hands? No, no, poor like poor. Not them, not them, not them. Okay, okay, I trust the second category of people. I trust the second category of people. If you know that you are rich, can you please raise up your hand? Wait, wait, if they are praying now that, oh, come for your blessings this month, all of you will rush and come outside. Now, to answer this simple question, can we do it again in the presence of God Almighty? You can like this is house of God. You can't do whatever you say is yea, whatever you say is nay. If you like, if you know you are rich, say you are poor. <laughs> so if you know, if you okay, if you feel that you are poor, can I can you raise your hand? Poor. No, no, not my poor, but don't be spiritual. I'm the preacher. Don't be spiritual. Go with me. Eh? Okay. If you feel that you are rich, can you raise up your hand? All right. All right. The last category. If you know that you are, if you know or you feel that you are neither rich nor poor, can you please raise up your hand? Ah, that's so. 
Even me said I follow. <laughs> most rich people know that most rich people don't have to talk. We know. Do you understand? The same thing with poor people. We know. You don't have to you don't have to, no matter how you buff up. No, yes, now. <laughs> One of my friends in the house today. I'm so glad to see him. I've not seen him in a long time. Like, it's so good that he came today. Because him, Philip is the example of that kind of person. Like, we know in school that he did not have by everybody, no. But if you see his star shirts, <laughs> Philip is not for three days old. But that shirt, uh, I must touch dry clean hand. He will find our money. But we know when you put there's nothing you can do to cover up. You see? Um, there's one report that came out, Cable Reports. They call it the Multi-Dimensional Poverty Index. Cable NG that did it. It's like 134 million people are poor in Nigeria. Well, like, over, like 200 million people. See, 134 million. Different categories. So you ask yourself, those people are saying, Nina, so what is the chance? I may be one of those. Some of you are saying, maybe I'm one of those. You are not. See, and I want you also to take this thing seriously. You know, rich people too can say that they don't have enough for themselves. You know, they can say that they need everything, they need it all to be able to maintain their lifestyle. So what's not going to happen? Because there would, there would then not be no one to care for the poor. You see, to care for the poor is something that the scripture takes very seriously, very seriously. One out of ten lines in the Old Testament is about how we should care for the poor. One out of six in the New Testament is about how we should care for the poor. It's even on top. Yes, there are people in, you know, in this neither poor or so bracket, neither poor nor rich, and we should be honest about it. But we must be careful to examine ourselves this morning to see that we are not shying away from the poor, to examine why, why are we, or if we are shying away from the poor. Because as we're studying Ruth, and as we're going to see today, guys, Ruth and Naomi were poor. There's no other way to look at it. These were poor. You can't, there's no, there's no bracketing for them. They were poor. Naomi and her husband and two sons faced famine in Bethlehem. Things were very hard for them. They didn't have enough to survive. So what did they do? What did they do? Pastor said they jackpad to Moab. But they came back to Bethlehem again. They were not deported though. They came back by themselves because things were so hard. See, they came back, I had the Bible record, they said that they came back empty-handed. In chapter 1, verse 21, you see that. They came back empty. They were not sent back. They came by themselves empty-handed. You see, if things were better off in Moab for them, I don't think they would have come back. So these guys were poor. So however you want to define poverty or however you want to categorize poor people, whether you use the official poverty measure, whether you use the multidimensional poverty index, or whether you use the World Bank definition of poor, um, you see different things. Poverty is, oh, not having access to shelter. Poverty is not being able to go to school. Poverty is not being able to have health care. Poverty is not being able to have enough food. Several things. You see, but two things are always constant. In any, in any definition, two things are always constant. First thing has to do with the most basic need. Food and the lack of it, hunger. You see, it says famine took them to Moab. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, you see that Ruth, see, they didn't have enough to eat. Ruth had to go and be picking up leftover grain 
in the field. In chapter 2, verse 18, we see that Ruth brought back leftover food from Boaz that Boaz had given her. Like, Boaz said, come and eat it. When he finished eating, he said, I will not finish everything because I have to take it back home. Food was a serious issue. They live from hand to hand. They live from day to day. So I want to ask you again. In this past week, if you know that you had to go from door to door or that you had to make multiple calls before you ate any meal at all this week. Can you please raise your hand? You see, the second thing is probably also the most important. It has to do with relationships or family or the lack of family. You see, in chapter 3, verse 1, Ruth was not well provided for. That means, that's what Naomi said. He said, we need to, I need to find a home for you, but he said, but I, want, I need to find somewhere where you can be provided for. So there was nobody that was providing for her. There was nobody to care for her. He said, not just this, Ruth and Naomi were widows. And at that time in culture, widows were at the lowest rung of the economic ladder. They didn't have husband. They didn't have any, they didn't have, they didn't have any man or any husband to take care of them. So, and, and women were considered as properties. They were not considered as even... As, as, as men. So when they were really at the bottom of the, of, the, of the ladder, and not just that they were widows, these two women were childless widows. So they didn't have husbands, and now they don't have children. So there's no hope. There is nobody they are looking forward to that will come and, you know, let me raise them, put on my money, and gather in this child, so that if I send this child, then when the child now makes it, they will not come back. There was nothing like, they didn't have any hope. So these people were really poor. No hope. So I want to ask you again. If you know that if you lose everything today, everything that you have, and there will be nobody, nobody's house that you can go and sleep in, nobody that can call that can give you money for the meantime, nobody that can give you food that you can eat for the next week, can you please raise your hand? You see, this is not to say that all of us are rich in the same way or poor in the same way. There are indeed people here who are poor. Who might fit into the bracket that I've described? But once you get me right, so we're going to get to what the Bible says about them. But once you get me right, I want you to understand me that this is not poverty Olympics. Because Naomi tried to do poverty Olympics in chapter 1, verse 13. Look what she was saying. He said, Oh, you see, I'm sure, look what he said. It is more, I'm sure. He said, No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She was saying, Hey, I'm, I'm poorer than you. But look at what Ruth did in chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth did that, ah. Ruth said something else. Ruth said, Ah, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Ruth is saying, It is not about who is poorer or who is richer than who. It is about giving from whatever you have, regardless of how rich or poor you are. Ruth says, as poor as I am, I have something to give. He said, Apostle Paul even wants you to know something about this. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 4. Look what he says. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, just like Ruth, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You see that even the extremely poor, guys, there are legitimate excuses to, to excuse the, 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 legit, the, the extremely poor from giving or from generosity. They are legitimate excuses. Especially if we are guarding contribution and say, oh, we are giving to people who have this certain kind of need. If you have that kind of need, really, it's because of you that we are guarding that fund. You are not supposed to, do you understand? You're not supposed to gather to give. We are giving to people like you. So there's no need for you to form because you feel like, oh, you know, I just want to show. No, there's no need to show. There's no need to cover up. And if you don't have or you have, no, just to cover up. You are, we are giving to people like you. You are in that bracket. There are people. Yes, this, this, we could have excused them. But poor, poor, no. Paul was even shocked. He said, these people yet in their extreme poverty, they gave. Like Tommy said, there is more to this. There is more to the poor. There is more to how we treat the poor, how we see ourselves as poor or rich or whatever class that we're in. There is more to this. And so as PF said weeks ago, in a sermon, a committed family, Ruth said to Paul Naomi, I can be your family. She said, your people will be my people. And in our text today, it's Boaz, the rich man, who is decided to make poor Ruth and poor Naomi part of his family. He decided to make them one of his own. And that's why I want to show us today, above all else, that there is a truth God wants us to believe and live out when it comes to the poor. And it's this. is this. is that the poor is one of us. The poor ought to be family. That if we live like this, we will experience God's extraordinariness in the ordinariness of our lives. So let's take a shot at it. The poor is one of us. The poor is one of us. What do I mean when I say this? The poor is one of us. You see, we had um, a celebration in our house yesterday. Um, yes, uh, as, as many of you that don't know, I, I will need, if I cannot get glucose boost, I will know my water. <laughs> Please. So, um, <clears throat> as <laughs> as some of you might know, my, my my wife is American, right? She's white American. So they have this um, tradition that they do. You know, first Thursday. I think it's first or the last Thursday of every November. It's called Thanksgiving. You know, the origins are debatable. Oh, they said oh, it's when they, we don't have to talk about the origins. You know, baby, white lives matter. <laughs> But, 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 you know, somehow black lives matter kind of more. Okay. So, 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 so let's, let's not talk about racism in church. Um, uh, I'd like to know what Lokoze tastes like though. Um, so, we had a Thanksgiving celebration in our house. Yesterday, sorry I didn't invite you. <laughs> it was only our neighbors that were invited, guys who live on our clothes. You know, just let's do this for our neighbors. But we said, love your neighbor as yourself. So we decided to invite our neighbors. Um, but our intention was not just to invite the people who own the houses, like the men and the women who were the landlords. No, we wanted to invite everybody, everybody, the cooks, 
the nannies, the cleaners, the drivers, everybody. That was the plan. We invited everyone. You know, went out sharing IVs on our clothes. Me and my wife and my, and my two children went out sharing IVs. But man, maybe like only one of the, what is, you know, for want of a better word, what we're talking about, only one of the poor came. You see, he came in you know, and stayed for a bit when one other person came, but that person stayed in the kitchen. Like, why did you not come to the living room? No, the person, she, I'm, I just want to stay in the kitchen. Why? What's my knowledge? And she stayed in the kitchen washing all the dishes that everybody else in the parlor was into it. Come and say, I don't like this kind of food. You know, I don't want to just be inside. Even our own help did not come. So don't say, I'm not blaming other people. <laughs> our own help that does not live with us, we invited her. Come, she did not come. The one that comes to clean our house like once a week, she did not come. Sarah invited her clearly. She didn't come with her children. Some of them came at the end. You know, because... They, why did they come at the end? Because, in fact, I even invited these ones first. Why did they come at the end? They came at the end because they could not be there at the same time with their organ, madam. They cannot. Just come and eat food. You know, there's no, why not? There's no, come and eat food, play some games, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving. They could not. Um, one of the unpoor neighbors, you know, he came, like this one of the landlords, he came like during, and then came, you know, with suits and white shirt, bathtub, fresh guy. I've never seen him before. I thought nobody lived in his own house. I said, oh, you're one of the ghosts in that place. He said, ah, yes. So he came, then he said, I'm not going to stay for long. I'm just going to stay for a few minutes, and I'm going to go. You know why that baffled me? Because there was one other guy, I think he's the cook in the particular house I stayed. So he did not come also during. So he wanted to come later in the evening. But when he came, he found out that the other guys, the cleaners and the cooks, the one that came later to come and collect food, he met him and said, I found out where they go. And I said, ah, no, we don't already go. Go collect. And he said, ah, that you cannot go in alone. Because, you know, he felt like, ah, if he goes in alone, well, like, how is he? can't just come in with that kind of, we cannot, he does not have the boldness for him to walk in and come inside and come and collect stuff. So I was just baffled. You see, there are plenty of reasons why they may not have come. But what I'm telling you this morning is that I am sure that the major reason for most of them is because they believe they wouldn't fit in. The thickest wall of division in the world today, you know, for a long time I was in school reading sociology, and I felt, oh, it was, it was religious, it was between Christian and Muslims. Oh, I felt it was between, oh, um, men and women, the gender division. No, the thickest wall of division in the world today is not gender-based, it's not religious-based, it is between the rich and the poor. Guys, do you know, I'm sure some of you have done this test, I do this experiment all the time. And I'm 95% of the time correct. When I see a car drive past, an SUV, or a fine car, a Rolls Royce, or whatever kind of car, I can tell if the person driving is the owner or not. Ow! Even though the person wears shirts. <laughs> Even there's no ow. You just not ow. Even though the person is not driving well. Even though the person drives well, you see. There is a certain, you know, we can't describe it. Do you know, exactly. There is a certain something. <laughs> See, I had an event um, um, some weeks, some months, some weeks ago. You know, and I invited and I asked someone to come be a volunteer for the event. You know, and then she told me immediately. She said, 
why are you inviting me to come and be a volunteer for the event? Like, am I the only one that you saw? Do you not see other people? I'm sure you are inviting me because I cannot afford the tickets. You know, at first I was just, I, 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 all my, everything I knew about how to, I, there was nothing I could say. I just relax. <laughs> so, guys, I want you to make my point clearly. You see, it doesn't even matter if you've been poor before and that now you are rich. It doesn't matter. You see, it is so easy. It is very easy to forget what it feels like to be poor. Very easy. It's so easy. Guys, I know this. I know this very well. I drank, I drank Gary in school. Like for semester, I drank Gary. Philip, how far now? We drank Gary. Nothing from, there's nothing that's coming from anywhere. We drank Gary. I felt like at some point, I was not drinking Gary, but I was drinking my tears. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I can be almost sure. But how have I, you know, come so far, so removed, that three days ago, I was chatting my brother, who is now in school, who is enjoying his own phase of life. <laughs> and then, I was surprised when he told me that, do I know that um, one egg is 18 era? I said, ah, it's not possible now. Egg, you see, one egg. Egg, just egg is 18 there. I say, how come? Because I'm buying crates now. Do you understand? <laughs> no, no, no. So, so my question to him was like, so if egg is 18 there, because there's a particular thing that sustained us. Like on campus, there's a particular thing I'm going to mention now. You know, that sustained. <laughs> oh my word. One of them is, is, is called Agro. I mean, if you remember Agro. Agro. Agro used to be, at some, I can remember when Agro was 15 era. Egg, full Agro that's inside with flour, 15 era. I remember when it was 100 era. That still makes sense. 100 era still makes sense. But to tell me that, that Agro is now 215 era. I said, how would boys be eating? <laughs> I have removed. I'm removed. Oh, how much is pure water? 20 era. I went for carriage the other day at, um, at, um, at Obalindi. And then I, I was hungry. I stayed so long on the queue. I packed once. I said, let me eat bread and beans. And then I pointed to bread because I didn't have a lot. I just pointed to bread. So give me that bread. He said, okay, I'll show you no sin at 200. Eh? <laughs> so, how? <sighs> Guys, this is just food. I've not even talked about house rents. I've not even talked about health care. You know, I'm sure most of you are wondering, oh, really, is it true? Hey, hey, I don't even know that. Yes. You see, I'm saying that even if you've been poor before, it doesn't preclude you from saying that it is so easy for you not to know what it feels like to be poor. And so because the poor understands, because we know this, it is so hard for the poor and the rich and other people in between to You see, but the call of scripture is that it, God is not calling us. See, God is not calling us to come and you know do some kind of minimal bare minimum for the poor. You see, God is calling us to know their names. God is calling us to know their story. God is calling us to know their faces. 
You see, because you can either be softened or hardened by the suffering of others. Poverty and injustice can either open us to suffering or numb us and cause us to build walls up to ignore the pain that surrounds us all the time. But what makes us inch closer, inch closer is intentional relationship. See, guys, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. See, I, I cannot tell you that if it was me that was in the shoes of the guys I invited to Thanksgiving celebration, I cannot tell you that I wouldn't have come. I'm not sure. I may not have come. See, guys, see? Boaz, in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Boaz at mealtime, what did he do? He called Ruth. He said, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. Guys, Boaz, you see, let me show you another thing. You see, from chapter 1, we were told that in 1, 4 to 5, we were just told that, ah, they went to Moab, um, Elimelech and his two sons, Kilion and Malon, and then they married these women, um, Ruth and Oprah. But we are not told who married who. We didn't know. Some of you don't even know till now. Like me, so I did not know until I started preparing for this sermon. <laughs> it's in 4 verse 10 that we realize that Boaz said that Ruth was Malon's wife. Do you know the kind of conversations they've been having? About their past, about what has gone on in their life, about where, where she is today. Oh, my, like, how did he know? He, was, he had a kind of different, an intentional relationship with Ruth. Guys, let me bust your head. Can you take us to Luke 16, verses 19 to 21, 27? You know, we all know this as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Right? So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Look at So he goes on to say, oh, the rich man died, Lazarus died, you know, and he just went on. So the rich man went to the other side, the Lazarus went to the other side. We know the story. It's a popular one. But then look at us, verse 27 says, he says, the rich man said, ah, I'm suffering here, oh, Lazarus. Can you come and give me water? There was that. And then I said, oh, Lazarus, ah, this place that I'm in in hell is so suffering. I would like you to go and preach to my brothers in real life. My five brothers, go and preach to them and tell them to repent, you know, so that they cannot come to this place. Say, he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Guys, the first obvious thing there is that Lazarus was a poor man. That's obvious. As he wasn't just a poor man, Lazarus was a poor leper. He was the lowest of the lowest. You see, lepers are like the most disregarded people in that time. You know, like widows, lepers. Even lepers even had like an additional on them because people believed that they were spiritually cursed. That is why they had leprosy. But notice this. Do you know that this is the only parable where Jesus gives a character a name? Because why? Because a name means that this poor man is more than his condition. Because a name means that this poor man, 
There is more to him than his bank account. And what did Jesus name him? And that's enough notes. Jesus named this character Lazarus. That is intentional. Because we know who Lazarus is if you think. Lazarus was probably Jesus' best friend. Lazarus was the man at whose house Jesus ate again and again and again. Lazarus was the man who made Jesus weep when he died. Lazarus made Jesus weep when he died so much so that people say, Oh, how he must have loved him. Lazarus was the man that Jesus raised from the dead. Ah, for Jesus to have named this character Lazarus, he was saying so. He said, this man is dear to me. As poor as he is, he should be dear to you. But that is not all we see in this parable. You see, someone, we, 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 we take this story and say, oh, the rich man is an unmerciful man. The rich man is a wicked man. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You see, this rich man is not as bad as you say he is. Because this rich man, he gives Lazarus leftover from his mac and cheese, from his filet mignon. He gives him leftover from his... Remind me, what are all those other things that we ate yesterday? All these are both food. All those things. I didn't taste any or most of them. So, all those, so he gives this man leftover from all of his expensive dishes. No ordinary leftover. In fact, the leftover that Lazarus must have been eating would have been better than the food that most other people were eating. So, bro, relax when you accuse this rich man. You see, he even has the rich man at his gate. What does this mean? It means that all his big men friends and women friends, rich men friends, will pass by and they will see Lazarus at the gate. What does that mean? It means that, and they will see Lazarus, ah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, take this $1,000, go and buy biscuits. You know how these uncles do. Take this and go and buy shrimps. Take this, oh, what's wrong? Lepros are oh, yeah, but take this. You, ask yourself, do you have any beggar? Do you have any cancer patients? Do you have any of those guys with unlookable diseases that park beside you during traffic? Do you have them in front of your house gates? Do you have them on your driveway? Do you have them in your compound, even in your estates? No, they can't be. They're not allowed in the estate. Never. So what did the rich man do wrong? It was the sin of the lack of a relationship. The rich man kept Lazarus at a distance. The rich man kept him afar off like a project. It's in verse 27 when he says, Father, tell Lazarus to go and preach to my family, my five brothers. Even in hell, the rich man is more concerned for his family more than he is for the man he's trying to use as his messenger. Someone is resting in the brothel. He said they should send him. <laughs> See? A theologian, Leonard Sweet, says, The rich man is condemned because he thought he had five brothers when God had actually given him six. 
In fact, some people call this parable not the parable of the rich man Lazarus. They call it the parable of the six brothers. Guys, we've been called to more than charity to the poor. We've been called to be family to the poor. So once you look around you, who is feeling like an outsider in this church? Who is feeling like an outsider in your GC? Who is feeling like an outsider on your streets, in your estates, in your compound? Who is that person that is so easy to overlook? Who is that person that you have incidentally or accidentally set aside? Draw them in. Draw close to them. It is not enough to do once in a while feast. You know, I just kept thinking about our Thanksgiving yesterday. You know, we can't just once in a year gather all these people together and say, oh, we want to try to oh, make the rich and the poor, you know, you know, be in a space together. Once a year, no. That's like Sarah. I said to myself, Thanksgiving is only the beginning because you know what? Last night, someone dear to me texted me and said, ah, Dami, I'm angry with you. I'm angry with you. I said, why? He said, is it because I did not have bad? That's why you're not inviting to Thanksgiving. So guys, family, this is where we start from. Before we move to our duty to the poor, this is where we start from. Because if we do not start from here, we will use the poor or we will ignore the poor or we will forget the poor. So my next point the poor is one of us, the duty. What is the duty? So what is expected of us? It's in chapter 3, verse 14. Look at 3, verse 14. What does it say? Where the reading says, So she lay at his feet until morning. Before, you know, someone got up anyway. That means there was something that was happening. Shoki showed us last week. If you take it back to 3, verse 9, you see what was happening. What did Ruth say to, to him? He said, he say, ah, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer. Guardian redeemer. You know, we've seen this earlier in 2, verse 20. Oh, when Naomi said to Ruth, he said, ah, Boaz, that man is one of our guardian redeemers. And then again, we see it in 3, verse 12 to 13. What is it? He said, although, so now it's Boaz responding to Ruth, he said, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer. What does this mean? You see, in Leviticus 25, verse 25 to 27, he said, you see, when an Israelite family became very poor and had to sell their land to survive, the nearest male relative, this is the guardian redeemer, had the responsibility of rescuing them from poverty by buying their land back and restoring it to the family. Just like what was happening here. In 4 verse 3, he said, Naomi wants to sell her land. Hey, Guardian Rima, when you want to buy it, he said, it's the, it's the duty, the obligation of the Guardian Rima to rescue this poor family. You see, another thing, we see this one in Deuteronomy 25 verse 5 to 6. If a man died leaving his widow without children, just like Ruth and Naomi have found themselves in, the nearest narrative, that is the Guardian Redeemer, had to step in and marry his widow and enable this widow to have children so that they could inherit the property of the dead man and keep it in the family. So that's why we see Boaz here as the guardian redeemer. But something is important here. You see, Boaz was not the main guardian redeemer. Like he said, he said, ah, there is one other person whose duty it is. We're not told the name of the person. 
You see, there was one other person that is men, and that's the person that Boaz goes to meet in chapter 4. You see, but when you go to meet this guy, this guy says, I cannot do it. In 4 verse 6. He said, so can you go to buy this land back? Are you going to acquire this Ruth? And then so that the person can go back to their family. This man said, I cannot do it. Do you know what he said? He said, Boaz, you do it. This man has cornered his duty. He's, he's the one that is in a better position to serve the poor at this time. He's saying, no, I cannot do it. You see, some of us do not care for the poor because we are like, if others did their duty, the poor would be sufficiently supplied. If others did as much, oh, if others that is supposed to be their duty, if they did what they are supposed to do in proportion to their ability, in proportion to their obligation, the poor would have enough to help them out of poverty. Ah, they have family now. Ah, he has brothers, he has sisters, he has friends that ought to help them. Oh, it's the government's fault. It's their parents' fault. But what if their parents did not do it, Uncle? Oh, if everybody else had said that, do you know that there will be no such thing as orphanages or motherless babies home? Why did this mother give birth to this child and abandon the child? What kind of, it's all these mothers. We need to work on, on mothers. We need to set up trainings for mothers until mothers step up their game. This children will keep dying here. No. Some people took up the duty when others absconded theirs. Boaz could have said no, but Boaz stepped in. So like the Bible of the Good Samaritan. Oh, he said, ah, one guy was attacked by robbers. You know, in Luke 10, he said, attacked by robbers. And then, oh, the priest passed by. The Levite passed by. And then the Samaritan came and said, ah, this robber, this person, ah. And he took the person, took the person to the hospital, cared for the person. And then the point of the Bible is that of all these people, I want to ask you, of all these people, who was, whose duty was it to have actually cared for this man? Whose duty was it? If you're honest, it was the thieves. Why did they attack him? Yes! The thieves should not have attacked him in the first place. Or if they want to be benevolent thieves, they can attack him, rob everything. We've seen it now, at least in movies. They'll attack him, take everything, and then go and drop him in the hospital. Benevolence. Okay, the thieves did not do their duty. Who was next? The priest. There's no other work that priest has. This is major work. He bypassed. Okay, the priest bypassed. The Levites. Oh, he bypassed. Then Samaritan, last, last person, the enemy of the Israelite, was the one who took this duty up to care for this man. So, guys, and some of you are asking, what of those that use their own hand to enter poverty? Someone by his own self, he see poverty like this. He said, hello? <laughs> <laughs> Even though, when then? You see, but let's look at it this way. Let's look at it this way. You see, my point is, the promising poor and the potentialless poor is one of us. The promising poor is one of us. Look at that one. You probably heard the story of one chronically poor woman, one chronically poor guy, came from bad background, no offer, no family, nobody, nothing. And somebody, somebody that just needs a push, you just need a push here, you need a push there. 
and then they go that push, and kaboom! They made a life. Made a life. Big. You know, I'm not talking about all those, I'm not talking about those cock and boo stories on LinkedIn, you know. <laughs> all those, uh, let's do LinkedIn and that's someone. You see, Ruth was a promising poor. Promising. Ruth was not a lazy poor woman. Ruth was hardworking. She took initiative. Ruth was creative. Boaz spotted and said, ah, who is this woman? Ah, ah, ah. Who is this woman? He could know that this woman was different. She's not like that. He could see that this woman was poor or not. was an outsider. But he said, this woman is hardworking. A promising poor. We have a duty to people like that. In fact, some of us are here because someone spotted us and pushed us and gave us that nudge. But that's not the only type of poor people that we have a duty towards. Why? Because the potentialist poor is also one of us. You see, Naomi had no potential per se. At least, she didn't have as much potential as Ruth. Think about it. Why wasn't Naomi the one to go and meet Boaz and say she was... In fact, eh, Boaz is closer to Naomi than Ruth. So Naomi could have gone to meet her and say, spread your garment over me. <laughs> because you are one of what? Guardian redeemers. Was she, one, was she not the one that gave Ruth the idea? But she was, but she was way old. Even she said it by herself. She said, but he said, am I going to have any more sons that would become your husband? He said, I'm too old. I'm not going to have any more sons that would become your husbands. But you know what? Boaz did not ignore this potentialist poor. In chapter 3, verse 16, look what Boaz says to Ruth. When Ruth responded, Ruth went back to Naomi. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go? Ah, that question is loaded, but we don't have time. How did it go? Do you know how that question means to the poor person? Hey, you went out, you went down also, your family at home, they don't know where you're going. You go out and also, as you're coming back, do you know, the, the question, when a, when, a, when a poor woman, a poor child asks their poor dad, I understand that question. But let's pack that. You see, he came and he says, look what he said, he said, how did you go, my daughter? Then she told her everything. Boaz had done for her. Go on. Look what Boaz says. Ah, is he still Luton? Luton, see. And added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law what? Empty-handed. Ah, Boaz could have said, Naomi jackpot with her family to mob. Foolish decision. Good for her. Who is going to help her? Not me. But Boaz says, it is not good for you to go back to your mother-in-law what? Empty-handed. Guys, you see, you may have been gifted with an ability to manage your own life. You may have given an ability to manage your own finances well because of the family you grew up in or the education that you received. It's an opportunity for you to show your thankfulness to God for the gift. Even if you want some people before, hey, you want to go and put your money in this thing, hey, 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 hey. Even though you want them and the God bonds, is that sin unpardonable? Are you saying that Christ, while you are yet sinners, or are you saying that after you have become even a saint and Christ's blood keeps atoning for you, are you saying that that sin is unpardonable? 
Guys, I told my friends, I told two of them, hey, this MMM, <laughs> this MMM, after me, I would chop one month though. <laughs> so I ate my one month MMM, but then I started to see value in What is the product? What is the product? Okay. I shall tell them, don't do MMM. Don't do MMM. They will not hear me. See, it caused such a rift between us. Me and my friends, two of my friends. And one has gone abroad now. God, God turned around his fortune. So, God, these two friends of mine, we didn't speak for about two years because of the cost of it. Because, I, like, see, there's no point. You keep calling me. So, hey, this one is after me. Someone is this. Can you please borrow me 500K? Can you, where do you want to see it? So, but when you have to come to my son and say, hmm, guy, 70 times 7. 70 times 7. He said, how often should you forgive someone with a sin? He said, 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Because I know, I know the foolish decisions that I've taken, that I've done myself because I was poor. And so we had to come to this place of reconciliation after about two years. Guys, help again. Unless they continue, unless they continue in these vices, in this foolish prodigality, please help them again. Forgive them. Or even if they continue and they're not willing to come back, help their family. You can't say because of the father's foolishness or the mother's foolishness, then the children will suffer innocently. Still, we know that this is not sufficient. Poverty is not just the result of one or two persons. Yes, Proverbs 14.23 tells us that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. But Proverbs 13.23 says, a poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. You see, injustice is any unjust social condition or treatment that keeps a person in poverty. In fact, the main Hebrew word for the poor in the Old Testament means the wrongfully oppressed. This could be anything from systems in favor of the rich to unjustly low wages to high interest loans. The most escapable for me at this point in time, loan apps. Loan apps that prey on the poor. Guys, I have a dear family member. A dear family member who has racked up loans. Up to about five million naira. You see, it's not just yes, it started somewhere, but do you know what it is now? It's become it became an addiction, an addiction. Because what it, you see, loan app, the social has called as a loan app addiction. How did I know? Because we had to take him to rehab. It was that bad, we had to take him to rehab. And he came to say, Oh, this thing is not going to just go away, it's not going to allow you to disappear. It's not just, hey, come on, stop it. Can't you see you're making your family suffer? Can't you see? No, 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 it's not going to go that way. You see, they have to tell us that, oh, this treatment plan is going to cost about 3 million naira. But that is even the last place to go. He says, see, these rehab treatments will not even work at all if you don't clear the 5 million. Because if the person is this rehab and keeps thinking of the 5 million debts, there's no treatment to give the person. The person will eventually go out and continue the addition because the person wants to pay back all the people. All the contacts that have sent messages to say, do you know this person? And you, oh my, you, you both, don't be shy, don't be shy. You've paid back, don't worry. You've got all these, <laughs> you've got WhatsApp messages saying, do you know this person? That man, I mean, he borrowed so and so from this app, this app, this app, counsel him. He's good. Definish him. You see, this family member is bright. 
This family member, I can tell you, is driven. Driven. One of the most driven family members I have that I know. But of course, it came from a poor family. But you say, greed, yes, greed is mixed up in it somehow, but please don't be too simplistic. You know, it started out as, I want to take care of myself because my parents do not have enough to provide for me. And the addiction led to depression and it led to poor school performance and has led to broken, several broken relationships. And guys, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel any way. What I'm trying to you to see is that this is why I liked that Boaz went to the town gates in 4 verses 1. Because in those days, in those days, matters of justice and judgment are addressed at the town gates. Major societal issues were addressed at the town gates. Judgments were pronounced at the town gates. This is like the public square where you use your power and privilege to break tables or to make tables to discuss these issues. Oh, you gotta ask. You know, stop telling every poor person, you see, every poor person, without knowing their story, without knowing their faces, without knowing their names, stop telling every poor person you know to pull themselves by the bootstraps. Some of them don't even have boots, don't talk of straps. Of course, it is possible for someone to be born into poverty, to break out of it. But it takes many more times fortitude, independence, creativity, and courage. Simply to go to school to get a job than it does for any child born into even a middle class world. In short, some children grow up with about a 200 times better opportunity for academic and economic success than others do just because of nothing that they did. They were just born into the right family. Boaz was a man of standing in chapter 2, verse 1. He had privilege because he had farm, he had business, he had employees, he had influence. Look at, he said, he called this man at the gates. The man sat down immediately. He called 10 elders. They sat down immediately. That's influence. That's power that he had. But that's just enough. Boaz was willing to use his influence to help the poor, even when the first guardian redeemer didn't. Boaz said in verse 4, he said, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. The influence, privilege, background, education, platforms that you have, will you use it to start an NGO, to gather your brick friends, to speak in the corridors of power where big decisions can be made that will affect the lives of the poor? Will you? When are you going to do it? Let me tell you when. 3 verse 18. Let me tell you when. Chapter 3, verse 18. Look at what Naomi said. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled when? Until the matter is settled when? When are you going to do it, guys? The poor is one of us. A final point. The poor, but don't come up. The, the poor... Elijah, please don't come on. The poor is one of us, the danger. Because there is a danger. 
Why did the other guardian redeemer shrink back? Why? Why did he shrink back? Why did he not do what was his duty? Or why did he not do what he was supposed to do? Chapter 4, verse 6. Look at what he says. Look at the reason I gave. He says, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my estate. I cannot. My estate, I can't endanger it. There is a danger. And be please, be kind of right. This was kind of right because, see, the guardian redeemer, this is what it means. It means that it will pay for the land. It would acquire Ruth as wife and take care of her. It also means that it would take care of Naomi. That's just expenditure number one. Then it will invest, it will invest so much into supporting this family and in building up this estate, this land. Only for the child that he has through roots to come and inherit everything and keep it in the name of Malon. That was the law. So the guy will receive little or nothing in return. This is dangerous. He says, hey, ah, no, no, I can't endanger. I would rather just keep it for myself. I can't endanger my own estate. And so, so some of you are saying, um, you see, promising I've been a potentialist poor. Ah, those ones are even better. Yeah, better. Potential is good. They're asking, have you ever, Dami, have you ever been drawn close to the to the kind? I've been an unkind poor. To the just, I've been an unjust poor. Hmm, can be dangerous. Potentialist poor would, you know, will not do you bad now. They will not just give you return on investment, but unkind poor. <laughs> ah, they will do you bad for the good that you do them. They will scam you. Have you ever been scammed by someone you are trying to help? Ah, yes, me too. I have. Welder. My welder. <laughs> we are renovating our house. So, but before we move to the house we are renovating, our former house, I spoke with him around. I befriended him. I said, hey, have fun. I'm waiting to happen. What's up now? I said, ah. Where do you live? I showed me. Eh? I said, this is where you're living. I thought everybody that lives in Dolphin lives in Dolphin. No, he lives in one, um, one shop sometimes. And then in one shop like that, you have to wake up early because they're going to party in the shop. They're going to sell in the shop. And other times, he, he sleeps in um, the abandoned mosque that is now estate that is beside this river, Bainway. Like, if you know, if you know Dolphin, there's this huge river. Like, you know, he sleeps there, sir. Sir, we plenty where they sleep for there. So I befriend him and said, so but after this welding job now, how did they go? It's in, how did they, they make sense? How did my papa they do it? I left my father's house. So they said, how did they come or did they come? I said, okay. So I left the weld that I was using before, which, whom I even feel was a more skillful weather. But I said, ah, welding, what's in your own spoil for welding? You're not too bad like that. So I said, ah, now you go to do welder for me now. So I was built up this relationship, you know, there and there. And then, so we're moving now. Who will I call now? Of course, the second. Uh, guy. So I called him and then I came with the I'll do the costing every time, every time. I said, Hey, you sure? Said, ah, no, no, but my head was full, plenty of things. I said, Okay, okay, it's fine. But I had my, my dad had come to just help me oversee some things. You know, it's not my strength, child, but it's his own. So he came and then came to oversee um, the old stuff. So I gave the guy the coat and the guy went to buy stuff. So only for him to return that day with rods now. So he brought the rods and then he was outside. So I was going to my dad said, No. This guy, I'm suspecting. I said, ah, no, uh, uh, not him. The plumber, I know, that one is chopping us. <laughs> but, but we've already paid him everything. There's nothing we can do. Let's just, 
Let's just go. God will reward us. So, but this word, I uh, forget it. He said, no, I'm suspecting this myself. Okay. So you went to go and meet the guy outside. Man, I was inside. And then, so could I, I just saw the thing was taking long, was taking long, was taking long. Then he now came back. My nana came to me to say, say, just go and talk to that guy. I said, hey, what happened? He just go and talk to him. So, and I, and I, I said, but talk to me first. He now told me that, ah, that the guy, the thing was about, I think, maybe about 150 or so. And he had maybe spent only maybe like 80-something K to buy the stuff. I said, you know, he said he saw how he caught all this. And I said, okay, that's good. So he now said, the guy was not telling him that, Baba, no worry now. Because nobody knew that it was my dad that was monitoring the whole estate. So he said, Baba, no worry. We didn't know. I won't come for you now. She was talking to me. See, that's what he was saying. See, he was just laughing his mind. Ah, oh, I wish, <laughs> I wish, you know. So I went to meet him, and the guy was not saying, ah, that he has change. I said, the coat said, they happened to be, he got it for cheaper, that I should take the remaining balance. Then I shook my hand and said, ah, wow, that's the unjust poor. <laughs> you see, some of us enter this relationship as they're hearing me and say, oh, I'm just going to go and adopt one poor guy on my streets. Oh, come on, I'm ready for this. Let me just find the widow. Woo! Let me just find that guy, that beggar on my road. I'm going to do this. I'm ginger. Hey, relax. The poor is not innocent. Because we enter this relationship with the poor with a certain unspoken expectation. Oh, we say, hey, so far the poor is, once you steal, <laughs> as long as they don't lie, as long as they are well behaved, then we are good. As if they are not real people. You see, you, you are saying, you the poor, you have to be simple and one-dimensional. But me, I can be complex. As soon as you disappoint me, you see, when I hear people talk about poor people, I hear mostly good things, virtues. Ooh, they're so resilient. They're so hardworking. You know, poor people in this country are the ones, you know, suffering and smiling. I say, oh, oh till you leave, below poor. Oh. <laughs> this one is Twitter, this one you're doing. You see, we must be involved in real people's lives. And what real people are complex. Because, guys, get ready. If you're going to do this, we're going to leave out this. Things are going to get messy quickly. I'm not saying you should foolishly put yourself in dangerous positions. You see, communicate when trust is broken. Set boundaries for yourself. Because people are complex. Do you know this very same world that I was trying to get my PVC and plenty long queue, long queue, every word. This thing was not going away. You got to say, you got to show me from up. You say, ah, how far? I say, hey, say, ah, how are you doing? I say, we're good, we're good. And now we've not been talking for a while. So, he said, how far? I want your PVC. I say, yes, I want my PVC. He said, hey. So, was me or Lighton or Lighton's babe? So now I said, ah, let's come now. That, <laughs> so, so you now said, ah, this, this queue, people, people just don't know the right queue. This is not the way to go. This is not how to do that. It will take us to the place where we can do it fast. I said, ah, for real, say yes now. And then guy just went up and then came to carry us and then went to do our PVC on that many minutes. And then I'm not thinking, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Make up what you think of that. <laughs> You see, look at Boaz instead, in verse 5 and verse 10. Boaz says, this is why I'm doing it. He's not doing it because of himself. Boaz says, I'm doing it so that Malon's name, so that Elimelech's name will not disappear from among his family or from his own hometown. I'm doing it in order to maintain the name of the dead with his poverty. 
You see, he's more, Boaz has this family thing in front center of his mind. He had it in the back of his mind. This family, this intentional relationship thing was bent on this. It was doing for the sake of the poor. I know some of you are faced worse than the world that did to me. I know some of you have been insulted for what good you did. Some of you have even brought someone to your home to stay with you. You want to help the person, send the person to school. You want to raise the person well, and the person ended up abusing your child. You see what Tyler Staten says, the pastor. He says, where are you supposed to go when a relationship-seeking, dutiful-based service ends in disillusion and disappointment, ends in sadness? Where? You go to the God who spends himself on people who barely noticed. Oh, Jesus gave himself to the materially poor and the inwardly impoverished. Jesus gave himself to about 15,000 people that shrunk down to like 20, that shrunk down to about three or four at his execution. So, does God know what it feels like to be led down by people? Oh, Jesus watched people testify against him. Ah, does God know what abandonment feels like? People that he had fed, people that he had healed, people that he had done miracles with. Jesus washed the feet of a man who he knew would sell him to be killed later that night. Does God know what it means to be taken advantage of? Oh, and with the last breath in Jesus' voice, Jesus prayed forgiveness for the people who slapped him, spat on him, mocked him, beat him. Does God know what sincere love without a return on investment feels like? Jesus died on the cross between two thieves. Thieves, the lowest of the lowest. Jesus died what? Naked. Jesus died thirsty to give you life and to give you everything else. Guys, did Boaz endanger his estate? Did he endanger his estate? Yes. So did he gain anything? What, what did he gain? You see, not caring for the poor is actually the worst kind of investment. You see, Proverbs 21 verse 13, what does it say? It says that whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Huh. It is it's not just endangering your estate. You are endangering your life. Ah, you don't want to see God. You don't want God to hear you. Oh, you don't want God to remember you. Guys, have you ever stopped to notice? Why does the Bible not usually give names to rich people that don't use their privilege for the poor? Why? The rich man and Lazarus. The rich fool. No name. The guardian redeemer, the first one, no name. But he gives name to people like Dorcas. Lydia, that use your stuff to benefit the poor. He gives name to people like Joseph of Arithmathia, who just spent how many verses? He gives name to Boaz. Yes, he's been hearing you, I know. That's what all you've done. See, guys, he's been hearing you. It's because of the mercy of Jesus. Because the truth is, you can never lose if you give. 
your riches towards the poor. If you draw in the poor as family and follow up your duty with them. Look at Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, it says that he that give it to the poor lend it towards to the Lord and he will pay him over and over again. Guys, let's read this Matthew 25, that's 1 to 46 as we close. I want to show you the extraordinariness of God and the ordinariness of serving the poor, of drawing them in as family, of being intentional relationship with them. Matthew 25, that's 1 to 46. 25, that's 1 to 46. Can we pull it up? I want us to look at it together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was well hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, they're confused. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, truly I tell you, can you go back? Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for what? You did for me. Guys, some of you are looking to encounter God in some extraordinary meeting. You are looking to encounter God in one fast and prayer something. You are looking to encounter God in a dream, in a revelation, in a trance, in an impartation, in a laying of hands, in a word of knowledge. Yes, God can come through those ways, but I'm telling you that in drawing the poor in and treating them like God, it is a guaranteed place of encounter. For when I say the poor is one of us, yes, Jesus became poor. He became as one of us. So, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. So guys, the final word is in verse 11. The prayer that he prayed. Just look at something there. I want to say a word to the poor, to the rich, and to all those who are in between, like I started. Look what he says. He says, may the Lord make the woman... That was the prayer of the people. What if we gathered and say, let's pray for this thing that's happening. This thing that Boaz has done, let's pray. He says, may the Lord make the woman. He says again to the rich person, he says, oh, look at Boaz. May he have a name and a family. May God. Look what he says. To the poor who is here today, who is saying, ah, all of these, all of these men, I don't see. Now I'm still poor. 
And when will, when will all these rich people gather to help me? When will I become somebody that can help people? God is saying that right where you are and now, if God could walk through Ruth, who was poor, you see, the people prayed for Isaiah, may the Lord, I'm saying, these men may not even respond. These rich people may not even respond to you, but I'm saying that God is saying, he can make you, he can make you, may God make you to be one who builds the family of God with whatever that you have, even in your extreme poverty. And to Boaz, he's saying, yes, you are rich, you are rich, you are rich, here. Yeah. oh, you have plenty of money. He said, no, that cannot do anything. It is, may God also make Boaz famous. May God give Boaz a standing. It is God that can make you. No matter how rich you are, God is one who will make you useful for his work, for his good. So guys, I want us to have this at the back of my Let's rise up and I want to call the deacons in the house to come and just say a word of prayer. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.